painful sex, peeing when you sneeze, heavy menstrual bleeding, hemorrhoids, these are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to crap women deal with after childbirth, surgery, or just living life as a woman. Yet no one talks about it. How can we live our best life as a woman, mom, partner, and athlete without having to settle for average sex or dirty pants? This is the question, and this podcast will dive into real answers. If you get offended easily, this is not the podcast for you. We get real, and sometimes real isn't pretty or proper. If you have young ones nearby, we suggest you put in headphones. We are Joss and Jenny, and welcome to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, follow us on Instagram, at the Vagina Doc and at Pelvic Boxer. DM us and we will personally answer your questions. For this episode and all future episodes, please keep in mind our disclaimer. The information on this podcast is intended as general information only and should not be substituted or used in lieu of medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hey, Jocelyn. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. So uh, it's getting to be pretty close to Christmas here. What, do you have any plans? Um, I am actually going to Pennsylvania from Christmas Eve to New Year's Day. So a long trip. How about you? Uh, we are actually traveling down to Houston for, man, I should know the name of the bowl. I think it might be the Houston Bowl, but Oklahoma State's playing Texas A&M. So we'll be spending Christmas down with the football team. <laughs> Sounds Sounds like it'll be fun. Yes, but we're super excited. Before we leave for the trip, we have two wonderful guests on our show today um, and a very um, important topic that we are going to let them talk a lot about because they know a lot more about it than we do. So today we have Dr. Teresa Spitznagel and Lindsay Duran with us. So welcome both of you guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. So Absolutely. We would love for both of you to introduce yourself. So, Lindsay, let's go ahead and start with you and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. uh, Thanks, Jenny. So, my name is Lindsay Durand, and I'm a second-year physical therapy student at WashU in St. Louis. Um, So, I did my undergrad at Creighton University in exercise science, um, and I decided I wanted to minor in math and Spanish while I was there. So kind of how I got into women's health, which is the route I'm planning on taking post-graduation. I was a freshman at Creighton University and I was in this Spanish course. um, And up to this point, I had had like a really big interest in Spanish. I wanted to learn Spanish, but I had no idea like how I could use the Spanish, especially in my career. Um, So I was in the Spanish course and I heard about this opportunity to go and study abroad in Peru, uh, but it was gonna be a service-based trip. So you go down there, you live amongst the poor, um, you spend two months like living in their area, learning about Peru like in the context of that culture specifically, um, and then taking like Spanish classes, theology classes, and sociology classes. So it was very service-oriented, and I did that and just kind of developed this like undeniable passion for service. Um, I realized like how amazing it was to interact with the people down there um, and just developed a really good relationship with the host family that I was paired up with. So shortly after I left, there was a baby um, who was born. 
in my host family and they actually named her after me and then asked me to be the godmother. Yeah, so it was kind of like very unexpected. I knew I wanted to go back to Peru, but after that I kind of had a, a solid reason to. So I've gone back a few times since then, once being for the actual baptism of my goddaughter. Um, and then I graduated undergrad in three and a half years. And so I went back there and took private tutoring in medical Spanish, kind of with the hopes of completing a clinical rotation in a Spanish speaking country. And so this past summer, I actually got the opportunity to do that um, and went down to Guatemala and was doing service work down there. Um, completing my first clinical rotation with a nonprofit organization called Hearts in Motion. So through that, um, I kind of had a lot of flexibility and um, just capability and time to learn about all the things that I was interested in. So one of them being women's health. And so my CI at the time was like, why don't you do um, kind of like a postpartum education course while you're down here, kind of as you're in service. Um, so that's what I did. And I went through a bunch of research and just kind of pulled together like super basic information to do a whole uh, one hour presentation and hands-on course in Guatemala for these women in like um, kind of poor communities around uh, Zacapa, Guatemala, just to offer them sort of any sort of postpartum education care, any sort of information we could kind of offer. And me only having completed one year of school, I was a little bit lost as well, just going off of what I could find in the research. Uh, but after that, I came back, I took Pelvic Health One and got involved with the Journal of Women's Health PT. And from there, it's just kind of like, I guess, escalated forward into my career and being able to take in both my passion of service and my passion of women's health through the Global Women's Health Initiative. So I've kind of joined that team now to help promote just everything that the organization is doing and help advance women's health globally. Wow, Lindsay, that's not quite the journey there. And you said you're only a second year right now? Correct. Yeah. I just finished uh, first semester of, of second year. And so to our listeners that don't know, physical therapy school is a three-year program. So she still has a whole nother year. And at WashU's program, that's going to be the majority of her clinicals. So again, for the listeners that don't know, this is all very impressive. Um, <laughs> you did mention the Global Women's Health, Health Initiative. So Tracy, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then both of you can talk about what that is and what kind of work you do. So uh, the Global Women's Health Initiative is a um, non-for-profit under the um, wings of the Shea Foundation. So there's a filmmaker by the name of Terry Benedict who started a non-for-profit called um, the Shea Foundation, um, which their mission is to create message media to support underserved um, concepts, projects, um, try to get to a, a, a larger audience for groups that really struggle with um, trying to get the word out about what is the needs um, <clears throat> for any one of those projects. Um, and Terry, has a passion for women's health that goes way deeper than most men could you could imagine having. Um, he's filmed uh, uh, surgeons in Nepal who do prolapse surgeries and from there he's learned about all of the um, conditions that women suffer from all the way from uh, sex trafficking to female genital mutilation, fistula, um, and so he came to um, the APTA um, and wanted to 
Um, he was looking for partners in 2010. I met him with Rebecca Stevenson at a combined sections meeting, and he was there kind of talking about the need for women's health in the country of Nepal and wanting to find partners who would potentially create a group that could do a women's health physical therapy um, arm of his charity. So we are housed under their um, 501-3CB uh, thing, ABC <laughs> thing. Um, <laughs> and um, he's, he's really done a fabulous job of giving us full reign in within our discipline and at the same time trying to help guide us in the direction towards um, uh, excellence in message media. Um, so I have to say that Rebecca Stevenson really is the woman who pulled me through on this. Her and Susan Clinton were kind of hook, line, and sinker, um, it, totally in. And I, I had already been involved in two other charities associated with women's health. I, at the time, and still do, sit on the board for the Worldwide Fish to the Fund. Um, which was a non-for-profit that was developed by a surgeon that I worked with by the name of uh, Dr. Lewis Wall. And when Lewis created the Worldwide Fish of the Fund, he had done it in 1995 in order to, to address the conditions associated with, specifically for women who have birth-related traumas that create fistula. Um, and I um, had met Lewis because I had been working at the OB clinic and um, I interviewed him when he first came to Washington University. And Tracy, don't let, I don't want to interrupt you, but can you just tell other listeners a little bit about your background before you continue on WashU? Because I want everyone to know um, <laughs> how amazing your credentials are and how wonderful it is to really have you on here today. So pause your story and tell us a little bit about you real fast. Um, me. I'm not, I'm not very good at talking about myself. <laughs> you know, the listeners, this is someone that taught both Jenny and I when we were, Jenny and myself when we were at WashU. So uh, let's start there. We're all WashU affiliated. Yeah. <laughs> and I yes. talk about you all the time. I'm just like, yes, I got to learn from Tracy Spitznagel. It was absolutely amazing. So uh, in case you don't say that, I'm saying this, who we're speaking to right now is, was extremely influential on my career path. And I'm just super grateful for you. And thank you for coming on. And thank you for everything you've done for me and uh, women's health in general. So go ahead. Thank you. Um, I'm blushing. <laughs> um, I'm, I have to say, I, I'm so impressed with the legacy for which I, you know, had the wherewithal to just say, yeah, this is important and we should try to put this in the curriculum. Um, women like uh, Jocelyn Yu and Jenny um, and Lindsay and the Vagina Whisperer. Um, I mean, man, I just, the legacy just amazes me. So for those of you who are listening, I'm a full professor at Washington University and um, my specialty is in women's health. I was in the um, original inaugural WCPT class and then decided that I needed to be on to help with the board certification. So I put my name forward to be part of the specialty council, went on to be the chair of the American Board of Physical Therapists. Uh, uh, therapists. Um, I started uh, the first women's health residency within the St. Louis area. 
Um, I've trained 12 women now um, in women's health specifically, of which uh, uh, three of them are working um, for me, which is really exciting. Um, we, I run a clinical practice line at Washington University. I'm kind of the most senior person, although I kind of feel like we, we all run it together because we, we make decisions in a community way. Um, but I came to love women's health um, because, it, because of the need. There was so few pieces of information when I was in school about it, like little tiny kind of like there might be something going on in the pelvis and maybe there's something wrong with the abdominal wall and um, had that wonderful opportunity to just be at the right place at the right time. The university chose to start a urogynecology program and I said, I'll, I'll learn. And I've always been a bit of a risk taker and I took that risk and um, now I have a Jocelyn and a Jenny and a Lindsay sitting there having a conversation with me. So I'm not the only person wanting to talk about vaginas. <laughs> Love it. So tell us a little bit about your first trip abroad, Stacey. And I don't know if that was, if you went to Nepal or if it was to Africa, because Lindsay told us about her first trip. And then I'm very curious, Lindsay, if you've plan on going with the Global Women's Health Health Initiative to Africa or if you've done work like that already? So for me, um, my first trip was 2011 and I had the opportunity to spend two weeks at the Hamlin Fistula Center, which is the oldest, oldest established uh, fistula hospital system in the world. It was started in the 1950s by a Australian and British surgeons who uh, fell in love with medical school and decided to take their their passion and career to Ethiopia to try to start uh, um, actually a school of midwifery and when they got there they, they needed to help the women who had fistula and so the, the fistula surgery came out of the need to care for these women. Um, it took almost 40 years for a school of midwifery to be developed in Ethiopia but things keep changing at a much more rapid rate now. Um, PT has always been involved in the hospital from the beginning, which really gives you an idea of how underdeveloped pelvic health and women's health PT is in the U.S. Because Australia, Germany, England, uh, Netherlands, Amsterdam, um, women get care, physical therapy care, and always have. It's been part of practice in, in physical therapy, not even specialty practice per se, it was just all part of the training um, from the basic education on. Um, and so it, we've worked really hard in the U.S. to keep pushing uh, women's health as a concept, as an entry-level concept, um, but there still are some things that aren't taught in entry-level. Um, pelvic floor exams, for example, are not taught at entry-level um, unless there's an opportunity for the students to do some kind of a focus study and then it's a level of choice. And honestly, um, both of you guys did focus study when you were at WashU, if I remember correctly, and nobody's chosen to learn how to do a pelvic, health, pelvic floor exam yet um, while they're an entry-level student. So it's definitely still a taboo topic. Um, and it's hard, it's still hard to get people to, to get it until they get out and have worked a little bit. So they're always kind of those biases. 
Can you tell us for our listeners who aren't PTs what fistula is? Fistula, in the basic sense, it's a hole. Um, and so what happens is in the case of obstetric fistula is a hole is developed because of pressure. There's a, the baby's head is too big or outlet is too small um, is the most classic um, reason that it happens or the baby's breech and the birth is arrested. Um, in, there is very limited evidence that shows that female genital mutilation is associated because of the scarring that occurs with fistula, but there seems to be a cultural relationship in that it's women who are poor, um, who don't have access to healthcare. Um, so if the birth, you go into labor, and there isn't someone who can help you with the delivery, and there's some reason why the, there's a problem with delivery, and you can't get access to care, you, the, the labor doesn't stop. The, the body still continues to push the baby through, but the baby, it doesn't go anywhere the largest percentage of women, the baby dies. So they're a mother who went all the way to full term and then lost their child. And on top of it, they now have a hole in their vagina that, that tracks to their bladder or their bowel or both. And um, so they become smelly and um, no one wants to take care of them. Um, and they, they really, uh, society kind of shuns them a lot of times in many cultures that people think that they've been cursed and or that they're something e they did something evil and so it's a punishment from god depends on the culture for which <clears throat> they are in um that I've, I've heard many reasons what what people you know blame the woman um instead of the system and it really is a condition of poverty so in the western world um it, no matter where you are in the continental United States, you can get helicoptered into a surgical center or get access to an, as someone who knows how to do an emergency C-section or who has been trained in delivering a breach delivery. And so we, Fischl is almost, not completely, but almost eradicated in the Western world. Um, obstetric fistula. Um, and so it's a condition, it's a social condition that is because of the, um, just because of the gender of the woman, um, that they don't get access for one reason or another um, to healthcare, the healthcare that they need, that they should as a human have a right to, um, so that they can have a safe delivery of their baby. So in Africa, where you've been, Tracy, what does it look like for a woman at the hospital where you guys train? So if somebody is able to get to that hospital and they have a fistula, what does care look like from that point moving forward? So um, the, the symptoms that I've most commonly observed, the, the women are brought in by a relative. It's commonly a, a male relative of some sort, an uncle, a, a elder brother or their father. Um, and they carry them in and they commonly um, have, are um, debilitated. Uh, they've been, uh, they haven't been fed well, they haven't been well taken care of, and they need uh, physical rehabilitation in order to get strong enough for the surgery. They will have contractures sometimes, they'll have leg weaknesses. When the baby's head engages, it actually can cause pressure on the arteries and the nerves. And so then all the tissues in the area are compromised. And so you get weakness along the lumbosacral plexus. So you get like 
hamstring atrophy and gluteal atrophy and calf atrophy and foot drop all on the one side that had the head's been had the most pressure on. The most common is a right leg weakness, um, but you can see bilateral. Every once in a while, you'll see someone who's so severe that, that they have bilateral leg weakness. Um, and the classically, if they get into a system, the system is set up so that they have rehabilitation in an ideal um, way related to their um, physical health, their emotional health, and then their social well-being. So they get uh, community reintegration um, uh, services so that they're, they're given a way to go back to their community if they can, or they're given a way to sustain, have a, a sustainable life. Um, so the women come in, they're evaluated. If they're not uh, strong enough for surgery, um, they're, they are put into a program of some sort that it's kind of a holding pattern, either for PT rehabilitation, or they get their surgeries. Um, it really depends regionally um, where, how much the severity of it is. If, they're, if the bone structure culturally in a particular region is small, so genetically the women are small, um, they're more likely to have more damage. Um, so for example, in Ethiopians, there's a whole northern part of the country is is uh, there's a whole kind of tribe of women that are fairly tiny and small um, and um, most african countries are countries of immigrants so you'll have uh, sudanese influence coming from one border which are very large tall people um, just genetically and then they um, you know a, a tall ethiopian who falls in love with a small ethiopian is going to be a problem because their pelvis may not be able to deliver the baby so it's it definitely is uh this uh the head is the baby's head is the problem if it's too big um compared to the size of the pelvis of the mom um so it's either the passenger or the passage is the easiest way to say it um, the surgeries can be um, simple and they have very little leg weakness and they can be quite complex. Surgeries on the bowel and the bladder. Um, and a lot of times there's uh, necrosis of tissue that's so bad that like the, there's erosion of um, the pelvic floor. The muscle itself isn't even always intact or big proportions of it in the anterior part of the diaphragm have are aren't aren't there um, the urethra can be quite rigid because of the pressure it's like there's fibrosis that occurs from the baby's head and the pressure so um, there's a lot of changes that are um, that occur because of the the mechanism of the injury that have long-term Problem. So even if the fistula is fixed, some women are incontinent um, because the urethrovesical junction isn't supported well. So they, they need a simple uh, incontinence procedure or their urethra just isn't patent anymore. It, 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 there's no urethral mucosal closure. There's no contraction of the urethral tissue itself because it's become so rigid from being under pressure. And in those cases when they're just, the holes are fixed and they're still leaking and they're rigid, a lot of times they end up with having what's called a diversion surgery where they will divert the, the bladder into the bowel. Um, 
and the the then the the stool is quite watery, but they at least have a means for um, having um, a a way to be continent. In the worst case scenario, uh, the the women would have a um, external uh, a pouch, and then they would you know they would have they would have to care for that. And there's a lot of women. Especially at like the, in the Hamlin Fishless system, the women who are AIDS there, um, they actually have stomas, um, and so they don't go back to their community because they need so much. They need med continued medical care um, because of the stomas, and they're actually hidden. Some some women have hid it even from their husbands. Their husbands don't know that they have a stoma because they they just you know hide it from them. It's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Um, the 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 degree of surgeries can be quite varied, um, and, the, and it appears to be a regional. Um, the the I've been I've had the opportunity to go to Uganda and Niger, and um, the women who get into trouble in Niger are commonly tribal women who are very small in bone structure. And the same thing will happen in Uganda. Uganda is a country of immigrants and there's a whole, um, uh, northern part of Uganda has a whole area that was kind of cut off because of a mountain range and there was an influence of Ethiopians that had migrated south. And so a tiny little bone, bone structure um, in this region in the northern part of Uganda. And there's a, a large amount of fistula um, problems that are in that region. So it's, it continues to be an access access to healthcare problem, and it will always be there as long as there are regions of the world that women don't have access for whatever reason, be it um, the politics of their country or the land, um, the lack of roads, the lack of ambulance services, the lack of midwives. Um, so that really the first line of defense is prevention, and prevention is 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 um, done by way of teaching women how to come into the, uh, come in from the peripheral regions and receive care, get, get prenatal care so they're screened, if they have a, just, just a small pelvis and, and there's suspected that they could potentially have problems with labor, they're encouraged to, in their last month to travel into the birthing centers. Um, and it's, it's a, Condition that's improving in some areas and not changing in others, and it kind of depends on the politics of the region. But in the country of Ethiopia, the statistics are dropping. the The number of fistula surgeries are, and women who have problems with fistula are dramatically going down, and the women who um, are now getting care for prolapse are dra dramatically going up. So there's like this: you can't in third in underdeveloped countries. Uh, conditions don't exist if you don't have a way to treat them or you don't have a way to screen for them. And prolapse is definitely one of them where women suffer from pelvic organ prolapse, but they're until recently haven't been trained surgeons in, in many regions to take care of it. So the fistula centers are now becoming um, centers in Ethiopia that provide care for multiple types of birth-related injuries, not just fistula. So Tracy, when you go over to Africa, what is your specific role and what types of specific work have you done? Um, my role has been varied depending on where, where I'm going and what I'm doing. So um, 
for example, I have gone in and, and um, taught one-on-one -on -one with women who needed to learn how to do a very basic pelvic floor exam on how to assess the muscle. Is it contracting? The first, first line of approach is, can you, can you feel my finger? <laughs> Does it hurt? And then can you feel the contraction? And, and that sometimes it sounds so simple, but it's like making sure that, that they have sensation, making sure that you screen for pain, and then, and then moving into strength. And then the, the last is, can you feel any scarring? And I've commonly used the term ring, like earring, because a lot of women will have like big earrings on, you know, when I'm like doing education and I'm working with a translator. So talking about scarring, like can you feel a rim or a ring? Is it like feeling the, the ring of your earring? Um, and I've done that in Niger, and I've done that in Ethiopia. Um, and in Uganda, I have, I, I have been totally on the level of um, we're going to, the hospital's been built and I'm, we're going to start a program there and we're waiting for them to hire the PT. So I'll be going in and doing education in the next year in Uganda in a very specific hospital setting. Um, I've also had the opportunity to coordinate uh, a master's of physical therapy uh, supplement. So there's a, in Northern Ethiopia, there is a group of physical therapists that um, are affiliated with a, a referral hospital, a specialty hospital. And so within that, they wanted to develop first a bachelor's program, which started in 2012, and then a master's program in 14. And they were struggling with finding teachers. And I told them I would try to help recruit teachers for them and help try to find funding for them. Um, but they had to teach women's health. And so we were able to get the Arian and Arian textbooks into their curriculum. So Jean Arian's textbook, I brought three of them and they take the books and the chapters and they use them in their bachelor's program. And so they teach the basic concepts related to women's health. And then in the master's program, we do a very specific class on pregnancy. And so in November, we're gonna do our first pelvic health course and train five women it's because they're gonna build a center of excellence in the hospital and they need a team of people to do pelvic floor work. So um, they used to do the surgeries in this city that I go to um, in Michele um, at the Hamlin Fistula Center in Michele. And now they um, are moving to having all the surgeries done for the fellowship training program. There's a Eurogyne fellowship program that Worldwide Fish to the Fund um, supports in Michele, and now we're going to have a center of excellence that we're going to develop. So I've been able to pull through um, uh, another, someone that I, somebody else that I trained by the name of Carla Wente, who is a board certified um, women's health specialist who trained in her women's health residency at Washington University. And Carla has gone both to Niger and to um, Ethiopia for me um, in order to help with some of the training. And this past year, I also was able to bring uh, Rachel Honan with me, who is a women's health resident who just graduated from our program and is working at the University of Pitt. And she helped with the teaching related to the pregnancy course. So I'm always, um, I'm trying, always trying to pull people through because um, as it grows, there'll always be more help that's needed for teaching and education on an ongoing basis. Um, and as the Center of Excellence develops, 
at this medical center, there'll be an ongoing need for pelvic health education and support for the women. Um, the the level of education is a uh, they have they all of the PTs have bachelor's degrees, but um, the the top of the class gets the opportunity to go through a master's program, and they let between five and seven through at a time. So it's kind of slow, but um, steady. And so we have this kind of slow, steady growth on in that particular region. So sometimes I'm going in as an educator. Sometimes I'm going in as a an, almost like an administrator. I'm a board member for a charity that is looking at the facilities and trying to figure out how to create programming that will grow women's health physical therapy. Um, and so it really varies. I've had, I've worn several types of hats when I've gone. Um, so it's been kind of um, a wild ride. <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, a lot of this, I mean, all of it is charity work. And so it is the holiday time. I know there's a lot of people, a lot of our listeners are looking for ways to help women. I think that's why they listen to our podcast. So Tracy, if people wanted to donate money or wanted to help this cause, what is the best way for them to go about doing that? Um, go to our website. There's a donate button right on the front page, gwhi.org, um, and just uh, donate. We have uh, uh, supporting the future of the Valai Project is our biggest push for the end of the year, but we're also looking for to raise money um, to cover the cost of a therapist who um, rode on a bus for a day and a half to get to our pregnancy course because she really wanted to learn more about women's health. Um, and pre I find the pre pregnancy education is kind of the gateway to deciding, is this for me or not? Do The passion commonly gets driven through the, the, the learning about the condition of pregnancy and all the musculoskeletal changes that happen. And so it's a really beautiful thing to see um, so tr to, to support um, uh, any one of those particular pieces would be really helpful. Um, this is where Lindsay has just been an absolute shining star. Because, um, you know, I'm of a different generation than you girls. <laughs> and so social media is not a natural thing for me. <laughs> and it's just like, it's, so Lindsay, it's just, it's just like, um, bread and butter. Um, it's really easy and she's a natural at it and she's just doing an amazing job of taking care of our end of the year campaign. So um, I really hats off to you girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Lindsay with that can you tell us a little bit about your work for the campaign specifically? Sure. So um, I guess it kind of it was really random how it started. Tracy just kind of made an announcement in class that you know, we were brainstorming ideas on how we could raise funds for the Global Women's Health Initiative. And so I attended this meeting and it ended up being just me and her um, for a while. <laughs> <laughs> There's one other person. There were three of us. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The other person did show up. Um, but one of the things I suggested, I was like, well, what if we did a Giving Tuesday campaign? Um, and I was like, I've got some experience on social media and, you know, I've built a, a platform to some degree and I'm now working with the digital media for Journal of Women's Health PT, like I kind of have an idea of how this works and can, um, contribute a little bit. So they kind of just gave me full reins and, and were like, go for it, figure it out. And it's developed kind of into this whole month long campaign, um, with us trying to raise, 
I mean, I think our goal in the end would be, it would be fantastic if we could raise $10,000. I'm not sure where we're at right now, but any sort of donation at this point is helpful. On Giving Tuesday, just from social media alone, I had people Venmoing me just a couple bucks at a time, and it was like over $100 just from, I mean, just from social media. So I think if we can just continue the momentum, let people know what we're doing, um, get the social media out there because that's kind of the hardest part. Like this organization is so fantastic. We just need to let people know what we do and get people behind us because it really is making a big difference. And right now the funds is what's going to push it forward even further. So that's my role at this point. Um, I think in the future, if I have the opportunity to go, like I would absolutely hands down go. That's definitely me as a risk taker. The, the minute I had the opportunity to go to Guatemala, I was like, I'm down, I'm going, I'm applying right now, whatever it takes. And then I interviewed actually to complete a clinical rotation with Carla Wente. Um, and so I was looking up her background and found out she had been involved in the Worldwide Fistula Foundation. I was like, how did you do that? How did you get involved? And she was like, Tracy Spitznagel, right? <laughs> she was like, talk to Tracy Spitznagel. She was like, Tracy's pointing at herself right now for all of our listeners. Uh, <laughs> right, so she was like, talk to Tracy Spitznagel. And I was like, okay, I got to figure out more about this. And everything has kind of just like fallen into place where now I'm a part of this organization and doing what I can to help. So if the opportunity presents itself sometime in the future or in the next few years, that's definitely on my list of things to do. Well, maybe from a very personal standpoint that our other listeners might not care about, but are you going to end up doing a, a rotation with Carla? Yes, yes, I am. So it's my very last one. Um, it'll be September, well, I guess beginning of October through December of 2020. So that is my last rotation in women's health or pelvic health PT. You will not be disappointed. I, I was on the phone with her the other day for like an hour and you are learning from one of the best. So that's very exciting. Yes. So You're going to love it. Will you love it? You're going to love it. What's the status on Blue PT Games? So, <laughs> I think the Woo PT Games is gonna be no more. It's so sad. Jenny, uh, Woo PT Games is something that started when I was a third year. Um, Jocelyn started it. Jocelyn started it. I wasn't a very good alumni, though, to make sure it kept going. <laughs> I checked yeah. it a little bit, and then... Um, and then I, I started this my own a no guilt zone. This is a no <laughs> guilt zone. So the WashU PT Games has raised initially, they raised $2,000 in their inaugural year. And every year since you graduated, we've, we have received $1,000 from, from, from the WashU PT Games group. And so what is happening is WashU PT Games is probably going to start to be a trivia night. That's what we're going to try for 2020 is a kind of a one-time, one-night thing. So it's not that it's gone. The legacy is still there. Um, don't, this is a no-guilt zone. <laughs> the fundraiser continues. We just don't know. We need to find ways, I think, to bring in the most just the most potential too. Right. And so we're trying to involve the whole medical community in this um, fundraiser as well, just to get as many participants as possible. So we'll see, we're still like in the, in the works of figuring everything out. 
Lindsay, I have a question for you about the social media um, for the Global Women's Health Initiative. Sure. So for our listeners that are not physical therapists, but that are on social media, what would be the best way for them to reach you on Instagram, Twitter, all of your social media interfaces, and how could they potentially share out that information so we can start spreading the word beyond just physical therapists? Yeah, good question. Um, so my Twitter is Durand underscore Lindsay. So D-U-R-A-N-D underscore L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. And that's kind of where I'm most active in terms of professional um, building. So that's where I'm promoting a lot of the Global Women's Health Initiative stuff. And honestly, if people just reach out, I'm happy to forward them the content. Um, if they just want to help retweet, repost, send out the link on Facebook. There's a Facebook, there's an Instagram, and there's a Twitter for all of this. So I'm consistently just need people to help share, um, get the word out as well. If people want to reach out for more formal emails, my email is lindsayelderand at woostle.edu. That's another place you can reach me. And then Instagram is lindsayderandfitness. So that one started first. I'm kind of stuck on the name still. We'll see if it, we'll see if it ever changes. Well, excellent, ladies. I think we're coming up around our 45-minute mark here. So any last words from either one of you um, on just global women's health care, women's health care in general, or any needs or ways that we can help support you? So I'd, I'd like to say that um, I am a true believer that it takes a community to, to do the work that needs to be done um, to take care of each other. And I um, have... Uh, pulled together a community of non-for-profits for which I feel like there's a wonderful symbiotic relationship that, that is happening. And I always encourage people to, to feel the community instead of the competition. Um, it's really, really important that we all work together because um, really what we want to do is help the women. Um, and so I, I just think that's really important. You've heard me talk about um, a global women's health initiative and you've heard me talk about the worldwide switch to the fund and my expertise would never have been developed if it wasn't for worldwide and so i just feel like um that and the foundation who has taken us under their wing um it's like we're all trying to lift each other and it's kind of as melinda gates says that moment of lift it takes it takes a community of people to work together um, and, and so I really encourage people to, to work um, together instead of against each other. With that, being, words. Yeah, with that being said, too, I think it's important to remember that it does take this big community and therefore even just a small donation, you know, $1, $2, $5, $10 will actually make a difference especially when we're starting with this organization that has so much room for growth and potential. So every little bit counts if we're going to make a really big difference. Well, excellent. Hopefully um, from this, some of our listeners, can you guys can help women, not just in your own backyard, but across the globe. And we are so thankful to people like you, Tracy and Lindsay, who are really boots on the ground workers. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to come on to our podcast today. Um, and we look forward to seeing the work that you both do. Thank you. Thank you so much for supporting us. You girls are amazing. <laughs> well, we'll talk to you guys later. Sounds good. Have a happy holiday. Yeah.